current strategies available for faith-based community to collaborate and addressing trauma in African Americans. So all of these topics I tried to cover in the three and a half hours that I spoke, right? I tried to cover all of that. Next slide. All right, let's go. Intergenerational trauma, transgenerational trauma, refers to trauma that passes through generations. The idea is that not only can someone experience trauma, they can pass the symptoms and behaviors of trauma, the Bible, onto their children, who then might further pass these along to the family line. In other words, generational trauma is simply this, that some things happen to you, that happen to your mother, that happen to your grandmother, and as a result of that, they will pass down the line. If you don't recognize the trauma that you've experienced, you will pass that same trauma down into your family too, right? So watch this. You become a conduit for trauma. All right. Somebody say amen. Amen. Okay, y'all getting weak on me already. In other words, if you don't address it, at least talk about it. That trauma will get passed. So what was done to you, you will do to your children. What's done to your children, they will do to their children. Now, I, I make this little final. Some of the stuff that we pass on, great, fine, good, we celebrate that. Amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. But there are some things that we know without a shadow of a doubt that we know we cannot continue to pass on. Okay? Here we go. Next. Uh, here's a trauma. There's a form of transgenerational trauma. Whereas transgenerational trauma is within the family, historical trauma affects many people or even an entire generation where it might also be called, considered what? What's the term, y'all? Collective, collective trauma. Everybody say collective trauma. Collective trauma. In other words, everything that's in your family, right, gets passed on within your family. Y'all with me? Amen? Everything that's in your family gets passed within your family. Whether you like it or not, you ain't got to even think about it. If, 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 if Big Mom and them, when they was back in the days, believed in... X, Y, and Z, they pass it to the next generation, they pass it to the next generation. And what ends up happening is you repeat cycles of brokenness, y'all gotta get this, mm. cycles of failure, mm. cycles of low self-esteem, yes. cycles of envy, mm. cycles of jealousy, yes. cycles of lack of goals, cycles of lack of vision. If nobody in your family talked about getting out, yes. mm. yeah. You can't expect somebody in your family to talk about getting out because it's been in your family so long. Okay, let me go back to y'all not saying If everybody's coughing in the room, everybody thinks it's okay. Mm. <laughs> but if somebody in the room is not coughing, the person not coughing is going to say, what are they going to say, y'all? What are they going to I need to get out of this. Somebody say amen. And that's how trauma, that's how trauma moves from one generation to the next generation, because everybody should be coughing, but ain't nobody saying that. Mm. You with me? Say yes. Mm. Yes. yes. All right, let's go. Uh, all right. This is the resource for intergenerational trauma experienced by African Americans, as well as slavery, Jim Crow, oppression, and discrimination, racism, and how black religion in various forms have served and used to serve as a place of healing and hope. Everybody say healing and hope. Healing, healing and, and hope. hope. All right, next, go. Black Americans suffer from racial, okay, here's the term, y'all, sociological term, racial battle fatigue. Amen. Many of us, every morning when we get up, we're tired. Not because of work, but because we're tired of the issue of racism. Amen. And whether you know it or not, subconsciously, you lose sleep 
racial battle fatigue. We're tired of every day getting up having to deal with the issue of race and racism, discrimination. You just tired. So what many people do is they don't love being tired, watch this, they internalize it. Mm -hmm. oh. So now, because you can't shoot at the target that's shooting at you, you shoot at everybody in your family. Amen. Y'all, come on, say amen. Come on, come on. Right? So I, so I really, I can't fight the boss or the man, yeah. but I'll cuss up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wish him would. I'll cuss you in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, so say amen, y'all. Yeah. Amen. Oh, I know this. I'm, that's what I talk about. So much of the trauma that we've experienced, and I'm going to get to it in a second, is as a result of dealing with that. Look at it. Uh, studies from Professor Wheels and Rivers and and Professor Physiological Psychological Spray is actually a racially marginalized group, and they're not energy lost, dedicated coping to coping with racial microaggressions and racism. Black people are put under amounts of stress that no human should be put under on a daily basis, and it has physiological impact. Did y'all hear somebody say amen to me? Amen. Every day, every day, it is a daily battle. Now, if you're just unconscious and you don't think that this stuff is real, then that's the little world you live in. Somebody say amen. 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 But to those of us that live in this world, the reality that exists in the world, every day we, ex we expend energy dealing with how others see us. It's on the news. It's on social media. Y'all see something in me. Right. Yes, right. yes. Everywhere you go, you cannot escape the issue of race. Right. Right? These New York boys go to practice. Yes, they have black coaches, but they got white coaches too. Yeah. Right? So not only am I having, I'm going to use that for example, I got to perform, but I also got to be mindful. I'm spilling my feelings a little bit on what I think he thinks about me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Every day. And somebody said, oh, you just ignore it. Well, it ain't that easy. Right. Because the reality is I'm still maturing and growing and evolving. Yeah. And I'm still dealing with the issue of who I am as an African-American Christian, a black man or a black woman in society. Does that make sense? Yes. Come on, y'all. Say amen. Amen. Racial battle fatigue is a sociological term. Now, listen to me. You're tight. I not only got to get up. I got I to gotta, I gotta kill the hog. I got to gut the hog. I got to bring the meat from the hog back to the house. I got to cook the hog. But then when I wake up in the morning, that's why there's a poem by Sonia Sanchez that says, Brother, I ain't got time. I'm fighting a man all day. I ain't got time to come home and fight you. Amen. Sonia Sanchez, right? Thank you both. Because at the end of the day, the, the fatigue is real. Next. I got to eat the meat. All right, here we go. Y'all see that? All right, let's go. Freedom. Slavery, Slavery famine, famine, natural, natural disaster, disaster, war, terrorism, terrorism displacement. Back up again, back up. Do it again, y'all. Slavery, Slavery, famine, famine natural, natural disaster, disaster, war, war terrorism, terrorism, displacement. There's another screen, and I don't know where it is, but what does that say, y'all? Slavery, famine, natural disaster, war, terrorism. Okay, go to the next one. Uh, according to Terry Jackson, notice the psychologist, what people had are the symptoms of providing trauma, which looks like post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety and disorder. Dr. Jesus goes on to say, these symptoms are usually passed to the next generation via learned behavior. Somebody say learned behavior. Learned behavior. Here it is. Watch this. This is good. This is good. So what we pass on is not genetic. What we pass on is learned behavior. That's right. You learn how to put hands on 
in your brain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, it, and black folks just don't eat pig, pig, because that's what's in our DNA. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So, okay, so and what we do is, watch this, watch this, Jay. What we do is, we'll justify grandma. Because the reality, what we'll say is, if it was good for grandma and she lived till 90. Uh, I hate y'all so bad. I hate y'all so bad. Why I hate y'all so bad? Right. Not thinking that grandma lived at a different time. Right. And we think it's okay for us. Yeah, I'm just going to be your labor. Well, sure. I can eat it too. All the while, it's killing me. Somebody say amen. Amen. Grandma yeah. wasn't at a desk job, though. Facts. Dr. Joy DeGrion, I'm so called the United States is entitled to ideology. The causes, the set of causes. Ideology means the cause or set of causes or manner of causation of a disease or condition. A ministry adapted to my behavior in the African American community throughout the United States and the diaspora. Go ahead. Next. All right. It is a condition that exists as a consequence of marginalization of generation or oppression of Africans. And their descendants resulted from centuries of child slavery, a form of slavery which was predicated on the belief here it is. Now it's time for the meat. That African Americans were inherently genetically inferior to whites. This was then followed by institutional racism, which continued to perpetuate that injury. I can never, so when I said I'm fighting with this, y'all, you can never forget, and I just I don't know how to impress upon us, that upon the arrival of the first Africans to these shores. The minute their foot landed, even before then on the Middle Passage, they were not considered human. Right. Human. Meaning, the dog had more rights than you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you, were, you were not human. For us to think that, that the institution of slavery, which lasted 246 years, legalized segregation lasted about 100 and some years, for us to think that just because we're in 2020 and can live where we want, that that insidious perception Damn. of African Americans still does not exist, we are naive. Amen. There is still a perception that we are less Sub than everybody else. Yeah. Are y'all with me? Yes. Okay? Especially. That's real. And I'm not talking about less, meaning you got less. Sub I'm talking about you are less. Yeah. All right, let's break it down. Go ahead. Man. All right, here we go. This is what I want to get to. Okay. Woo! Let's read this. Read it out loud. What did you read up? <laughs> Stolen so from Native land, 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 Middle Passage, 246 years of brutal slavery, legal segregation from the late 19th century to the 50s, lynching, abductions, chain gangs, black codes, assassinations, poor public education, zero access to health care, police brutality, Mass incarceration, stop and frisk. Dang. You know what I said to them on Friday? I feel like I've been suicide right now. Because that's what our ancestors should have done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Man. They should have killed themselves. Any generation justifiably should have cut their throats. That. And can I be real? Can I be honest, though? I just stopped hiding. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I got a whole nother 20 I can put up there right now. Yeah. Man. That's the history of black folk, y'all. You, you tell me why we here. 
How do we survive that? That is horrible. That is terrible. So anybody that talks about reparations to COVID, absolutely yes. We've been terrorized since we got here. So you don't need being Pastor Coleman. I gotta be truthful and honest and transparent. Just because a few live well don't mean everybody live well. Amen. Thanks. Man. That terror, that horror, our, our parents, our grandparents, our kids, us, our parents, our grandparents, our great grandparents suffered under that. For years. Okay, so let me do it, y'all. So you're telling me, you're telling me in this state, in 1921, 300 people were killed, mm. 10,000 homes were burned, mm. and the entire neighborhood was dissolved. Leveled. And the American government said nothing. Nothing. Mm. Nothing. Nothing. Ain't even gave an apology for it. The, the Greenwood community, Stevie Greenwood, has not recovered today, y'all. Right. So that's why I take, y'all forgive me for this digression of personalism. That's why I take betrayal of when it comes to us serious. Yes. Yeah. We've been yes. oppressed for years by other people. The last thing I need is somebody that looks like me oppressing me. Thanks. Woo. Yes. Get away yes. from me, man. man. That's enough. Yeah. That is horrible, man. How many lives got lost in that, y'all? Here's what I said to them on Friday. When slavery ended, did the American government send counselors to go counsel the slaves? No. Man. I can't get nobody history. Man. You have four million African Americans free, quote unquote. Who sent counselors in to talk to them? Nobody. You are left with this dissolution of hope. You are left with this dissolution. So, so let me be honest, John. That's why, that's why we tell our generation was told this because their generation, that's why I tell y'all, you have to work twice as hard to get half as much. Because at any point in time, that's a setup. That's to serve as a reminder to you why you work every day. Because it was people that survived that. Next slide. What's that, y'all? Little pastor. Uh, uh, if you're sitting in this church tonight and you've been kissed by any part of the sub, one of your ancestors was on a boat like that. Yes, sir. On a boat just like that. That ain't the Caribbean cruise card on the cruise line, y'all. Heck no. That ain't the Royal Caribbean. You were stolen. Your ancestors were stolen, put in slave ships, stacked on top of one another, right. traveled for weeks to get to shore, in the most inhumane conditions, made to live in their own feces, died. Some of them committed suicide because they would rather die in the water than to arrive a slave. Right? Unless right? we talk about the millions that died on the way. Right. 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 Come on, come on. Y'all with me? Alright, next slide. Here's Ross. Here's Ross. Y'all see that? Mm -hmm. Next slide. This is my favorite picture. I'm gonna get it blown up. I'm gonna get it blown up and I'm gonna put it in the house. Alright, here we go. What do y'all
questions and Okay, hold on. Okay, what y'all think? Okay, can y'all do something? Can you do something? Can everybody say something? I need everybody to move this room. I need you to look at the picture. Just tell me everything that you see in the picture. I see cotton. Tell me what you see in the picture. What you see? Tell what you see in the picture. I'm out here. What you see? Hair tumble. Hell, no, what I mean? Hair tumble. Just describe the picture. A lot of generations. A lot of generations. Keep going. You see, you see who with a shotgun? Keep going. What else do you see? With a dog. A dog. What is he doing with the dog? He's holding the dog. How do you think the dog feels? He said he don't want to be there. Y'all crazy. He got, he got a, <laughs> a black man holding another dog. Here's the catch. So this is what I told him on Friday. This picture typifies in many cases explains who we were. He has a shotgun in his hand, right? Okay, everybody turn around, because you got to get this. The hardest thing for me to watch when I saw that, Sam, was the terror of living in that situation. He the only one with a gun, y'all. He the only one with a gun. And I was staying up. That's terror. Can you imagine at any point in time they kill you on the spot, and they have babies, the little kids are there. So now, you're passing on generational trauma based upon terror of somebody killing you. Boy, y'all better get something tonight. One thing, they can't fight without that gun. Well, that may be the case, but in that picture, you got a gun. But, but, it's true. Can I, can I say this to y'all? Yeah, about God, because too much God talk gets you killed too. Come on. Terror. That's a generational terror right there in that picture. Next slide. That's a picture from life. Life. Change that. Y'all know that after slavery ended, there was a period of about 10 years called the Reconstruction Era. It was probably the, the time in America 
where we had the most number of African-American legislators. It's 10 years. It's called radical reconstruction. It's after slavery, right in this period of time. Well, because the South did not want to cede any more power, they saw progress as being threatened. Y'all better be y'all reading. They saw it as threatened. So what did they do? They created what's known as black codes. Black codes were created. In other words, these black codes were created in order to re-imprison or re-enslave people who had come out of slavery. Right. So they developed black codes, what we call, what normal would call sundown laws. Right. Y'all familiar with sundown laws? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That means at 6 o'clock, get your tail off out that neighborhood. Right. But there were sundown laws that also talked about a man owning a pig. Right. right? The purpose was to put you back in slavery, government sanctioned, institutionalized, and you worked on, everybody say chain gang. Chain gang. Right? Because of the, the, because of the, the prison would subcontract work out and right. put more pockets in the money of the warden because he would subcontract construction work out, right? Right. Okay, so maybe let's go, let's go 2020. Right. Chain chains still exist. Right. Just right. in another form, y'all. Eight cents a day. Keep that in program. Believe me, trying to do that with those kids. Because here's the thing there is a prison to pipeline system. Yep. The reality is that we can get more black men in prison, we can utilize their labor, thereby buttressing and, uh, and, and causing a, a boom within the context of a company. So there are companies, AT&T, certain companies that will use prison labor for zero to, zero to no cost. And that's part of that. When Obama was president, he had done away with private prisons. But of course, when Trump came in, he reinstituted private prisons. So now there are people still making money off the backs of African-American men and women, millions of dollars, and it's 2020. Yes. yes. All right. All right. And in some places they still wear the same uniforms, right? Because the prison system is nothing but another form of slavery, y'all. Yes. Right? Yes. Because what did the 13th Amendment allow? The 13th Amendment did not allow. The 13th Amendment, slavery may have ended, but the 13th Amendment allowed for slavery to exist within the penal system. Right. Now read that 13th Amendment. Amen. Yes, the document of the 13th Amendment. Great. Next slide. Y'all see that? Segregation. 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 Oh, yeah, he was a soldier. He was going to take that from the team. That's horrible. Y'all, that's just vicious. I left it on the screen. I was teaching one year at OU and I showed that picture. And a young lady, uh, your sister, said, Hey, Astro, can you go to the next slide? I said, Absolutely not. You want to sit here and look at that? Now, if you want to read class, you can. But what you're not going to do is try to say you don't want to look at that. Look at that. You didn't have to go to that. Somebody did. Next one. Leave. Probably had a picnic. I like this as the norm. Right. 
Cheney already stood before uh -huh. Judge Joe Brown. Judge Joe Brown said, you can find the video. When he stood, when, when he stood before me, I said, this man did not kill Dr. King. This is not the gun that was used in order to kill Dr. King. He gave the specs of the gun. It's on the video. Judge Joe Brown, he said it. That's a fact. But here's what I, here's what I told, what I said. The greatest trick ever performed to our community was disinformation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't like to handle this nicely, but I can't. And I don't mean D-I-S, I mean D-Y-S, the clinical side. The clinical version. It's to make us believe one thing when something else is true. Yeah. Right. 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 Okay. Yes, Steve. Yes. I've been watching that too. Steve, so let me tell you my moment. So that documentary came on in December. I watched it. Asked my wife, the beautiful woman in the balcony. She would be asleep in the bed. I would finish an episode. I would go, shit. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I study this stuff, y'all. I teach this every year. I'm not share my life. Every share, share, share. And I'm at the edge of the bed, y'all, traumatized. I had never heard this stuff in my life about the killing of Malcolm X. I, and this is what I do for a living. I read Michael Dyson, David Garrow, you name the books. I read the books. Ain't one of them put that this in here. It was almost, it was a long episode. I'm sitting there going, Lord, you got to, and I asked the Lord, I said, you got to help me. I said, because I'm messed up. That the dude that killed Malcolm X was living in the community. Yeah. Right. And then when they went to go ask the people, the brothers, y'all know we are so dirty, we are so right. We need help. We need Jesus worse than we ever knew. Let me tell you why. Because when they start talking about it, the brother said, hey man, why are you bringing up dead stuff? Yeah. Leave that alone. Leave that alone. What? Y'all done killed this man and you don't want to talk about it? Yeah. And the man told him, duh, duh, I don't want you to end up in jail. Which was his code of saying, I don't want to get you killed. And then another dude served 20 years. 20 years. And he wasn't even at the scene of the crime. And they knew it. And they knew it. Tell me about trauma. <clears throat> Maybe that's why we trust less of each other, but we don't trust others more. Mm. <clears throat> Maybe we look at each other with the same face more. <laughs> but we smile and cow town in front of them. Because mm. of disinformation. Emmett, 
Anybody don't know this story? If I don't get you here tonight. Please, I'll be honest. You don't have to be I'm going to quit that story. Okay, everybody know the story? He visits his uncle in Money, Mississippi. When he visits his uncle, he's from Chicago, right? So that raises high level of significance. He was not from the country, from the city. So when he goes out to Chicago, supposedly, he's, his cousins are outside the store. He goes in the store. And many stories, y'all. He said hello to the white woman. He winked at the white woman. The whistle. I got a billion stories. Whatever happened, when he left, he tells his cousin after he leaves the store. And they said to him, yo, yo, cousin, you can't do that down here. When he gets back to the house later that night, his uncle mows right. It's a knock on the door. It's two guys. They say, yo, the kid from Chicago, he said, yes. They take him out. He's no longer to be seen. When he is finally found, he is found like that. That ain't the good story. The good story is here. Upon preparation of the funeral, because they shipped his body back to Chicago, um, the religious leaders in Chicago begged his mother not to have an open casket. Please don't have an open casket. She said, and it's a documentary where you can see what she said, she said, absolutely not. I want them to see what they did to my baby. So this, this picture has lived within the context of our history for years, yeah. right? The juxtaposition of who he was and eventually what they did to him, that's how that happened. All because of what they believed he said to a white woman. Right. You know, so. Said something, he ain't even did that. That's crazy. When great times come into the work of generational trauma healing, three patterns of thinking used to justify to make slavery and black insurance. Here we go. All right, number one, animalism. Mm -hmm. Sorry, animalization, what is that, y'all? They're not human. Everybody said they're what? They're not human. The next one is demonization. What does that say? They're human, but something is very wrong with them. Three, infantilization. What is that? They are human. Nothing is really wrong with them, but they're not our intellectual equals. All right, here we go. Where's the subhuman plot, though? That's a big one. Let me do this. <laughs> no, don't, okay, yeah, you want to do my thing. All right, here we go. That's why he's in my past. That's why you two will be in my past. That's why I tell you all. That's why my wife tells you all. You got to know the game. And don't let the game know you. Right. Because at the end of the day, if you know what the game is, you get everything they give you. Make yourself better. Yeah. Don't have it. But oh, you is better than you're better. Come on, call me. Talk to him. Talk to him. Because what we have a tendency to do is we make their institutions better because of your labor. Yes. Yep. Right. Yes. And then what you got? That's why work, y'all, do y'all mind if I do this for two seconds? Talk to him. Talk to him. That's why work is important. Because if you take them three things, Animalization, demonization, system. not everybody, but some of that is the nature of the collegiate sport game. It's to, it's to, it's to not really care about the, the wholeness of who you are. It's to use the part that we need. Yes. Right. 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 Say it again. Yes, Read that, Jay. 
They're human, but what? Why is he point that one out, Jay? Talk to him. Call me. Talk to him. Talk to him. And, and, and here's the thing. And I got to do this. I got to do this. And I'm going to When someone feels that in, your intellectual inferior them, they've got to keep the hierarchy in order. Mm -hmm. So the less smart I make you believe you are, yeah. the harder you're going to work for me. Yeah. Right. Because you become dependent upon me telling you what you need to know in order to perform at the level you should perform. Oh, Somebody better say something to Pastor Coleman Come on, Coleman. If I keep you intellectually inferior, mm -hmm. what I'm doing is I'm controlling you. Because mm -hmm. right? as long, watch this, they don't know, but I'm going to tell you. So when I tell you what classes to take, share yeah. When I tell you what major you should make, major yeah, yeah, yeah. what yeah. is that? Control. That is control. keeping the system of hierarchy in order. Because as long as I control what goes in your brain, yeah. Shut yeah. Up. Yeah. Yeah. I control you. So here you are, you go to OU, you say, man, I really would like to major in engineering. That'd oh, be no. Great, you know, I'd like to engineer. in You sit. what they say, Jay? what they say? You want to major in engineering, what they say? It's going to conflict with your, yeah, with your practice schedule. Wow. Your mama then sent you to college. And they're telling you you can't major it because it's going to conflict with your schedule. Because what do I need from you? I don't need intellectual astuteness. I don't need an intellectual equal. Y'all going to miss that right there. Message. I don't need an intellectual equal. I need somebody physically capable. Mm -hmm. So I overemphasize your physical ability, underemphasize your intellectual ability, thereby, thereby making money off of what I need the most, your physical ability. So now I need you to catch, I need you to run, I need you to do all these other things for me. And the minute that you show signs of being intellectually capable, you become a threat. Yeah. Yep. I can't get nobody to Talk to him. You're a threat. So watch this. What do you mean, Pastor, I'm a threat? The minute you have independent thought mm -hmm. and you start thinking for yourself. All right, yeah. Right? Because now Coach said, I've heard a guy, I'm going to tell you what I've heard. 
Um, a scout will come and look at you. I'm, I'm digressing, but I gotta do this. A scout will come look at you. I've heard they do this, because I know. Steve, you know they do this too. And if that scout has an off with the player, the, if that coach has an off with the player, the coach will tell the scout, oh yeah, he ain't that good. Right, thank you. He ain't that good. He ain't that good. He, 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 he a little troublemaker. Oh, he got, you see the control, right? But the minute, that's why, that's why your talk game gotta be good. Yes. So that when the scout comes to you, you can articulate what you want out of them. And not defer to the coach. We'll talk to him because mom ain't gonna talk to the coach. You got a mom and daddy, they told you what you need to do. Right? Right? But that's about these three things. Analyze, legalization, analyze. If I make you feel less, I can control your behavior. I can manipulate you. I can deceive you. Not everybody does it. But you gotta have perception to know who's doing it. Right? Did y'all hear what I just said? Yes. Everybody doesn't do it. But you gotta have perception as to who's doing it, right? Because you don't want nobody to make you feel. And, and I'm gonna be honest with the group tonight. Let's be honest, y'all. Our kids feel like they're in the classroom. Yes. They feel intellectually inferior. Now here's the catch. I'm gonna blow their mind with this. A a white kid has a problem with his homework. What does the white parent do? Tutor. 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 An Asian kid has a problem with his homework. What does the Asian parent do? Tutor. 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 Sit a tutor. A black parent. Has a black kid that has a problem with his homework. What's the black parent say? Why the teacher not doing their job? Why the teacher not doing their job? Or here's my here's my favorite one. Sit down and do your homework. Sit down and do your homework. Come back an hour later, the same piece of paper sitting in front of them. Cause they can't figure it out. Cause nobody took the take the time. To, do you get what I'm saying? Something is missed in the culture if you all are easily saying this is what Caucasians do, this is what Asians do, but here's what African Americans do. Do you see the deprivation in that child? Mm -hmm. The self deprivation that happens in the context of a culture? Right? I'm almost done. And then some of that goes back to that culture because maybe their parents can afford to get it. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. And some of our parents don't know how to do the work themselves. Right? Facts. Right? I told Sister Smith about Jackson. She, she knows this. And Jackson, her grandchild was born. He was running. You know, Jackson was running everywhere in the church. He just run. You see Jackson, he just everywhere. He run up to the, in the pulpit. And I told Sister Smith when he was like a couple years ago, Sister Smith, be careful. Because when he gets to school, they're going to misinterpret his behavior. Mm -hmm. Y'all never say that. They're going to see that behavior as mischievous. When in fact, you need to applaud that. So I tell you all the time, I don't mind kids running up to me. I don't mind kids running up to me in the whole bit. I ain't got a problem with that. Because why? Because this is the space where they can do that. When right. we go back to the industrial style of how we do school, which you need to study, while we still do a school based upon an industrial model of having three of us off in the sunlight, ain't nobody got no farm. Uh, we about that. We'll talk about Come on. Come on. Instead of all year school, which is why American school system is worse than any other school system, yeah. because we got our kids take three months off in the summer. I didn't forget in the first couple of days when I already learned the whole year. Y'all gonna make me go there. Come on, go, man. It's horrible. Your kids ain't learning nothing. Three months off. So now we like, you need to learn something over yourself. But I told you, be careful because they will reinterpret that behavior. And you can't let people reinterpret your child or my child's narrative based upon the way they're perceived. Right. Are you with me? All right, we're going to start. I know it's a lot. Go ahead, Jim. All right.
The Toronto Press Slavery Manifest itself has to translate to low self-esteem, anger, depression, poor habits, anxiety. When the affirmation comes, the internalization of being labeled as unintelligent, undeserving, criminal, dishonest, or only good for entertainment or athletic purposes. Do y'all get that? Oh. Amen, y'all. Amen. That y'all gotta just read that. I know it's catchy. I know, I know. No, but I just, I, 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 was, I was really working on trying to get that. Because of the trauma that black people have experienced, they end up, we end up in culture only seeing our kids being able to achieve in two areas. That's entertainment and athletics, right? So I said to my wife, we had an argument the other day, uh, Justin, we had a little argument the other day, and I said, sure, every, every kid in the <laughs> that I, that I, when I came up, wants to go to what, Justin? What do they want to do when they grow up, Justin? Go to the league, NBA or NFL? Right. You ask any six-year-old kid, he swear he's the next LeBron James. Now, some of that stuff, the mass person, commercialism, sports, I got that. But in the context of community, we even support that. Why? Because we will pack out basketball gyms, we will pack out football stadiums, but you can't find 20 minutes to a PGA meeting. Facts. Don't nobody care about his race. Don't nobody care about his race. I gave this example, I'm done. This is self deprecating. I use this example for some minutes. Two white parents are in the stand, two, two parents in the stand. There's a white mother, there's a black mother, they're in the stands. Both of them have bas kids on the basketball team. The black mother leans up, the white black mother leans up to the white mother and says, oh, Scotty is doing so well. Scotty is, Scotty is doing, he's doing good. The black, man, black mother says to the white mother, he's doing great. The white mother says, oh, thank you, thank you. You know, really, we're hoping, man, you, you know, he gets to college and, you know, he's a good kid, man. He's great, he's doing well. Da, 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 da. So the white parents say White kids see Jamal on the court. Turn to the black mother and said, Jamal is something else. He, Jamal is really good. Jamal can do that thing. Black mother said, yeah, we trying, man. If he could just, if he can get his grades right. He good on the court. He good on the court. Let me tell you something. He a mess in the house. He don't listen to nobody. I'm just hoping he can take this basketball thing and go somewhere. Y'all know that happens every week. Yes, ma'am. I, yes, I have a question yes, because I'm a high school teacher. Yes. And um, a lot of things you say I can relate yes, to. Yes, ma'am. I, I want to ask you then, whose responsibility is it? Because I find myself as a teacher, yes. I'm the mother, yes. the father, the counselor, yes. the uncle, the this yes. and that, and all the problems yes, that the students have, yes, you know, is dumped upon that teacher. And a lot of the parents sometimes come and expect from me yes. as a teacher, yes. you know, this is your fault, why yes. this and everything. So I ask, whose responsibility is it, period, as far as everything yes. that you're saying, the yes. traumatization that the kids come with in the classroom, then is that my responsibility as a teacher to try to what, de, uh, it's the word, not dehumanize, what's the word? It's to, to try to change all this? Yes, yes. Or is it parents or is it a collective thing? What's Ideally. my part so, so as here, a teacher? So here's what, here's what I believe. This is, my, this is code, though. I believe that the community, that if we do not redefine what it means to be in the black community in the 21st century, we are continually losing a generation. That's right. Let me go closer. That's right. We have to reimagine what the black community is. Right. You gotta reimagine what the black community looks like. 
because the way it was doesn't exist anymore. Right. So what in many cases what we've done, because our communities in the past were so close and we lifted each other up, as a result of the dispersion of African Americans all over the city, all over the country, all over it, what is happening is, is that the brain trust that used to be in the community is no longer there. In other words, everybody moved. So you're left with those who need the most help. So you gotta reimagine what community looks like. Let me use history as an example. There is nothing over here. Don't, don't be fooled by the development, because that's for the university, that's for health hospitals. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're not building those things for us to live in. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Mm. I know for a fact. So part of it is us saying, we have to take ownership of the communities that we exist in. Not live in, exist in. Because you may not live in the community, but you're still a part of the community. So that's reimagining the community. Does that make sense, y'all? Yes. You reimagine, see, now somewhere near there is reimagining the community. So, in other words, in the past, we lived next to each other. But now that we don't live next to each other, now we have to reimagine what it means to invest in the communities that I don't live around, right? That's my first answer. My second answer is this. First of all, let me liberate you. It is not your responsibility to be mother, father, pastor, counselor, doctor, nurse. Okay? I applaud you from the door for being a high school teacher. Mm -hmm. In 2020. Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. I would you So so a part of it is we have to begin to have conversation on how do we reimagine the community to help teachers like you. Right? I do so it's hard for me to say this, but I'll Many African Americans, the goal was economic prosperity, right? So we got economic prosperity, but in many cases, the sacrifice was the community. Mm -hmm. Get my money, get my job, get my wealth. Get out. And get out, right? That's cool, I got it. So now, I am trying to appeal to another community that says, hey, really, y'all, we need to care about mass incarceration. We need to care about social justice issues. We need to care about our community. I know that you may not live in the community, but our people still need your brain genius. They still need your energy. They still need your positivity. Because somehow you got out, and if we're able to create a formula as to how you got out, maybe we can help others get out to at least get a better life, right? right. But that's cognitive dissonance. Because I'm going to be transparent in this moment. So y'all pray for your pastor. Somebody say amen. <laughs> My parents are that generation. My parents, when my father moved up in United Parcel Service, the first thing they did was to move out of the city. That's the first move. So I was the only African American at my middle school when I went there. My sister was already in high school. When my, when my father made got another promotion, he moved further out of the, away because the community got too much cover. He made another move. That move was to a better neighborhood. He built a house, great house, beautiful. I love my parents to death. Uh, provided me a wonderful life. What had happened in that neighborhood? My wife would tell you. Black people started building houses in that neighborhood. By that time, my parents said, well, let me put the big joke on the table. They moved to Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> my father said, I'm out. So why, right now? They did. <laughs> they did. I'm being honest. I'm being honest. They may be in trouble later, but amen. So they lived in a subdivision in Arizona, no black people. So here I am, the radical. When I go first step, they tell all they want is don't come over. Don't come over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
they call all of their friends and be like, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm raising the issue at the table. But they, and so I would challenge my parents. I, me, I would challenge them. They'd be like, okay, y'all. Y'all don't understand. But they go to a black church because they still want the culture. They just don't want the community. What'd you say, Shan? I'm gonna get trouble. <laughs> my mother go go banana when she see this, right? And they move. So, I, but I tell them, thank God. But that's that generation because they view economic progress not disconnected from liking black people, but but they wanted to be in safe neighborhoods, and the safe neighborhood happened to be white. Hello. <laughs> That's hard to hear. Yeah. I, it's hard for me. I couldn't digest it. So I applaud you. I don't know the total answer, but we gotta we gotta deal contextually with why we as a people are so eager to disconnect ourselves from our kids, from the community that need us. Um, I think part of what's important to talk about with the, the generational trauma is how we've internalized it in ways that we don't understand. Yeah. Because since we're talking about generational gaps and it's real important to this upcoming election because as I've been looking at things, um, older black people are conservatives. They don't like to know it. They don't like to, we don't like to uh, talk about it, but they are. So currently Bloomberg and certain others are appealing to the pull your pants up or they they stop shooting you, stop playing your rap music and white people will accept you. And um, we don't realize that this is internalizing the trauma and what we've, and like you said, they move away because they want safer. And that's why you have an entire generation of a certain age that doesn't see a problem with stop and frisk because in their minds, you were getting it off the streets and they felt safer in their neighborhoods. And now a certain age group is endorsing and because I mean, I've been polling people as I've talked to them, and they don't see the problem with Bloomberg because yeah. he's not as radical as Sanders and Warren. Right. And part of what we're, the issue with some of the, how do we teach them to be something other than entertainers and athletes is access and knowledge. And no one is giving that information. So here are other things you can be. Right. You can, because we don't, we know about engineers because you know this is an oil and gas area, right. but no one knows about infrastructure right. and the jobs that are available for infrastructure. And that generation, that's what they taught us. Go to college and you'll get a job. But then we went to college and it cost us three times more than it cost when they went. And we've seen no increases in wages. Yeah. We've seen predatorial loan and lending yeah. And now we've been expected to pull ourselves up by bootstraps with broken straps. Yes. And I think that's part of the trauma as well, that we, we are internalizing and don't even realize that that's what it is, that we are. And it's part of what, if, if anyone's read, we were eight years in power, is what we got with Obama, as great as it was, and right. however you feel about Obama, you feel about Obama. But it basically led the way to, well, if a black man can do it, then any white man can do it. And he was a very unique specimen. Yes, so uh, of course I 
Newman High School. And so we get this on the um, email conversations about cultivating uh, kind of um, get a group of kids that do robotics and things of that nature. And so we had them all in the room. What was amazing, so it was two white individuals, men and, and a black man, and here I am in my own mind thinking, okay, the guy that's the white guy that I've been emailing, I thought he was the head, but when they got up to speak, it was actually the brother who was the CEO of the company. Wow. And what they do is, they, he had a great job working in tech and all of that wonderful stuff. He realized when he was going into sixth grade, um, his family moved, he was behind in math. And so there was a teacher that spoke into his life, got him into a little group, and by 10th grade, he said he caught up, because he started sixth grade on a third grade math level. He just believed he couldn't do it, that somebody invested in him. When he got to the place, he said he'd gone to all these tech conferences, went to college, all of that, went um, to all these conferences, and he noticed out of the 1,000 people that were there, it was only maybe 20 people of color, none being women. And so he started questioning, then we found out, he went to his boss and said, listen, all the kids that are going, he's an adjunct professor, all the kids that are coming through our program, um, kids of color, they're not finishing the program. And the director didn't care. The director said, this, the program is great because we have butts in seats and we're making money. And he said he got back on the plane, he called his wife, he said he had a sick feeling in his stomach, and he said, I've got to quit because I've got to go back into my community and help them. So over the last, I think, 12 years, he takes, he goes to different communities and he sets up camps. And about 20 kids, they will take children of color and he teaches them coding and gaming. He said that we make it really fun and for them, it's about being committed to something, four hours a day. So as they're sitting there, they were like, oh, we can take 20 students. So my child doesn't go to Millwood, she goes to Harding Charter Prep. I said, no, you can only take 19, because I have another child that's coming this summer. Uh, try to get him in that as well. But again, that whole exposure thing. Um, my husband and I talk to OU students all the time about going to the league, going, all y'all not gonna make it. So let's figure out what we're gonna do. And so we teach that, and here we come with this 15-year-old who's like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. I'm like, oh, not in my house. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's funny because now I, I made him, as you didn't know this, on the way home, I made him listen to the TED Talk of the brother, the CEO of this company who goes all across the country and all across the, the nation um, with this program. And I said, Corlin, we will do training in the afternoon all summer long, but in the morning from nine to one for those eight weeks. I need you in, I need you there because I need him to see something else. And again, it's about exposure. I mean, yes, we, we you know, we did that stuff with Chandler sports all the time. Corbin was a little brother. Chandler's in college not playing ball, not touching a ball. He wants to be a student. But here's this 10th grader that we're pulling along. So yeah, play for us as we go quick. But here we are, here's a black man who was doing well, decided I gotta go back and get my kids. And he said, if we all make that commitment to, to help one child, help five kids, there's no telling. So part of what you said, what do we do? What we're doing tonight, because the faith, I'm, I'm doing Facebook Live and all that stuff here. I'm typing, faith is more than just about Jesus. It's walking your faith out. Right? And so as part of the conversation, thank you for bringing that to us tonight, but now it's our responsibility to learn more and then go back and get some kids. So on, rather than talking about a, a Jackson running up from the pulpit, right. how about you shake Jackson's hand and show him, oh, this is how you shake your hand. That's this right. is how you address somebody. That's oh, right. and bring, put a dollar in his hand. Why, if we begin to do that as a church family, I don't care how many kids are running around here, but we got little doctors, little lawyers, little right. engineers, yeah. right. whatever right. business owners running around, we have to invest. So we, it's our job first, so thank you, Pastor. All of you in your high school, I'm, I had a couple of instances.